Good morning, church. Yes, I could faintly hear the good morning, even in the house. <laughs> it's so good to be with you again. Uh, again, I, like Monty said, I'm sort of like the guest speaker. It's been like six months since the last foot surgery, so I'm so excited to be here today. And today what I want to do is this, I want to talk to you about freedom. Since the beginning of the pandemic, freedom has sort of looked a little bit different, hadn't it? Do you remember what freedom looked like prior to the pandemic? You remember that, what, that, what that looked like? I mean, we went where we wanted to go, and we didn't worry about masks or social distancing, and we didn't have to do the new hug, greeting with the elbow. I mean, we went to school, and we went to work, and we went to sporting events. We even went to church. And then we didn't think anything was going to change in that, especially shutting down. It's been about 10 months since the beginning of the pandemic that hit us. And I know that there's times when I reminisce about what freedom looked like prior to the pandemic. And as Christians, we got to admit and we confess that we're not immune to discouragement, that it has impacted us, the loss of our freedom. But I want to let you know today is this, is that I'm not going to talk about the freedoms that have been lost. I'm not going to talk about the freedom that is bound to a global pandemic. I'm not going to be, talk about the freedoms that is linked to a vaccine or the freedoms from mask or social distancing or even shutting down of the precious things that we've really held dear to our hearts. The freedom I want to talk to you about is spiritual freedom. Spiritual freedom can be and must be an anchor that gives us hope not only for the present crisis, but also hope for the future. It may be time for us to reorient ourselves. It may be time for us to understand that, I don't know, the COVID pandemic may have allowed us to blur our focus. It may have even caused us to become distracted. What I mean is this, is that we've become so focused on our physical freedoms that we may have forgotten the most important freedom of all. And the most important freedom of all is spiritual freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. You see, freedom has always been at the heart of the ministry of Jesus. From the beginning to the end, it's always been about freedom, specifically freedom from sin. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, the angel comes and talks to Joseph, and he's, he's talking about the boy that he's going to have, and he says this, you will have a son, and he will save, free the people from their sins. Even during his ministry, he was talking about freedom. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus, as his custom, he went home, and as his custom, he went to the synagogue, and he picks up the reading from that day, and it's from Isaiah. And in Isaiah, it's talking about the ministry that he will do. And part of that ministry is freedom of the prisoners. 
Now, we understand what that means, don't we? That spiritual context of that. The spiritual context of that is freedom from sin and freedom from Satan and freedom from the law. Even even when he is wrangling with the religious leaders in John chapter 8, even at that moment in time, and he's talking about freedom and he's talking about slavery. And when he's talking about freedom and slavery, he says anybody who sinned is a slave to sin. But he, he goes on, he goes, the Son, Jesus, I will make you free. I will really make you free. The cross. The cross hangs over all of history, and it says this one thing. I am here to make you free. I am here to make you free from sin. And since Jesus was all about freedom, specifically freedom from sin, exactly what does that look like for us? Because it was clear to Jesus, and it has to be clear to us. I think freedom from is... It's the death grip of the law. Uh, let me explain it this way. In Scripture, there is this concept of the law of sin and death. And, and simply put, it means this. You sin, you die. That's what it means. And, and this is really the death grip of the law. The death grip of the law is you sin, you die. Adam and Eve experienced this, didn't they? The death grip of the law. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one that God told them not to eat from. They ate of it and they died. Underneath the law of Moses, we see this death grip of the law again. Underneath the law of Moses, for every commandment that was broken, there was a penalty to be paid. A price extracted from the lawbreaker. And depending upon the nature of the law broken, punishment was either some simple some simple reimbursement, or it was even death. The, the sad thing for us is, is that we're always going to be lawbreakers. We're always going to be lawbreakers. And, it, and, it's, and it's impossible to keep any law perfectly. And I, and I think that's what's going on when, when Paul gets to Romans chapter 7, and he understands that we're always going to be lawbreakers, that we're always... We can never, ever keep any law perfectly. And he, and he sums it up this way. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from the body of death? Like Paul, we're in a wretched condition, in the death grip of the law. But Paul asked the right question after realizing this, doesn't he? He asked the right questions as lawbreakers that we needed to be rescued from the law of sin and death. And Paul says it this way. He asks the right question. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from the, grip, uh, the death grip of the law? Who will rescue me from the law of sin and death? And then I love Romans chapter 8. I love Romans chapter 8 because it's at that moment in time. Jesus comes onto the scene and he, goes, he says this in Romans chapter 8. Jesus says, I will release you. I will free you from the law of sin and death. Praise God for Jesus, right? Praise God for Jesus. And he goes on to the rest of the chapter as he discusses what this means that he's released us from the law of, the, of sin and death or the death grip of the law. He says that we have entered into now 
that we, since we've been freed from this death grip, that we now enter into this very, very, very special relationship, not as servants, but as sons, right? As sons. And, and it's so special that I have this special access, I have this, I have this special relationship where I could call out to God, Abba God, Abba God, Abba God. Not only has he freed us from the death grip of the law, he, and, and, and because I'm not a lawbreaker anymore, and since I'm free from that, I'm free from any accusation. I am free from anybody pointing the fingers at me and going, lawbreaker, lawbreaker, you're a lawbreaker. I want you to imagine just for a second this scene. It's this courtroom. But it's a spiritual courtroom. And in this spiritual courtroom, God is the judge and Satan is the prosecuting attorney. And I am the defendant. And here's what's really the problem with this picture. I am absolutely 100% guilty of everything that I'm being charged with. And Satan, the accuser, everything that he utters out of his mouth about me, and we're not used to this about Satan, are we, is absolutely true. We get this picture from this in Romans, I mean Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, where it says the accuser, who Satan, day and night stands before the Father and accuses us of our sins. And if that was the last picture, if that was the last picture that we would get, it'd be a hopeless one. But I got to let you know there's another passage of scripture. It's 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. It is the same courtroom scene that we I described to you earlier, but there's one huge difference here, and the huge difference is Jesus. Jesus is the huge difference here. And what's the beautiful picture about Jesus here in this hopeless courtroom scene that I described earlier is, is that Jesus does something unbelievable. The first thing he does is he stands as my defense attorney. He is my advocate. And he stands before God and he pleads on my behalf. But the second thing that he does that is so amazing is the fact is that he is also, and more importantly, the atoning sacrifice for all of my sins. In other words, it's this. He pays the penalty for everything that I have done wrong. See, Jesus is our lawyer. And Jesus is our sacrifice. That's why Paul, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22, he says that we're free from accusation. And here's what that means. There is nothing that can be charged with regard to our sins. And here's the beautiful picture today. If you're in Jesus Christ, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are not pointing their finger at you, calling you a sinner. No pointing fingers. See, 
Jesus has brought this freedom. This freedom from sin that has released me from the death grip of the law. And, he's, and has released me from the pointing fingers of accusation. But it also has done one more thing. This, this spiritual freedom has done one more thing. And the one thing it's done is that it has cleaned me up from the filthiness of my sins. If you were to look at a definition of sin, it would read something like this, that if you sinned, you, you've missed the mark, uh, you've, you've erred, you've made a mistake, you've, uh, you sort of blew it. <laughs> and, and, and I get all those definitions. I, I mean, I get those definitions, and I know they're the right Bible definitions, but there's also something even more insidious about sin. And the most insidious thing about sin that I believe is, is that it actually pollutes me. There's a, a filth to sin. And I know that we don't, I know we don't like to hear that, but it just creates in me this, this polluted filth in my life. And because of that, I so desperately need to be washed. I need to be cleansed from the sin that is in my life. In Acts chapter 22, Paul is recounting his conversion experience. And in this conversion experience that he's recounting, he's, he's talking about the time when Ananias came to him. And, and, and talk to him about what it's going to mean to be a Christian. And the specific phrase that Ananias uses in Acts chapter twenty two sixteen, we see this recounting here. It says this, Ananias tells Paul, rise up and be baptized, and notice this, and wash away your sins. Wash away the filth and the polluted nature of sin. And he says the call on his name. We get another picture of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Later on, Paul's going to be talking to the church in Corinth. And he's going to talk to them a little bit. He's going to talk to them about what they once were and now what they are. And it's this really beautiful picture of past condition and what they are in the, in the present reality. And he uses these three words, but the one that I really want to concentrate on is the one that Paul talked about in Acts chapter 22. And he says this, that the Corinth Christians, notice the three words, they were washed, they were sanctified, and they were justified. It's that washing again. And this washing, it just completely removes all the filth of sin. It, it removes that. It washes away. And I, and I stand before God, holy and pure and right. I love this verse in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, where it says this, Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah 1 and 18. You see, freedom in Christ 
releases me from the death grip of the law. The pointing and accusating, accusation fingers saying you're a lawbreaker, it frees me from that. It frees me from, it frees me from the filth and the polluted nature of sin. But I want to let you know that there's something else that comes in. That when I, that when I experience this, when I experience this freedom, this freedom from sin, there's this joy that takes over my life, right? There's this joy that just rushes over me. And this, this joy has to speak out. It has to do something. And, and what I like about this is that because Jesus freed me from all of this, it allows me now in this joy-filled appreciation, the freedom to do so many things for him. It's a freedom from to a freedom to. And that's what I like about being free in Christ. The freedom from and the freedom to. And i got to let you know, we could spend a, a lot of time on this. But there's two things I want to talk to you about as far as freedom to. The first one is, is that I want to talk to you about the freedom to lovingly serve. To serve in love. I don't know if you've heard this before, but uh, I've heard Christians say something like this. I want to let you know I am free in Christ. And, I, and I'm so appreciative of that word, right? I'm so appreciative of that phrase. But sometimes there's a little bit of a code that goes behind it, right? I am free in Christ, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And there's something disturbing about that claim. There's something that is not right. Usually when somebody says that, they're thinking about something that they really want to do or they want justification to. But if you look in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, when Paul, when Paul is talking about this freedom to serve, that sentiment of, I am free and now I'm going to do what I want to do, is not the sentiment that's found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. It misses the entire point of what it means to be free in Christ. It misses the entire point of that. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, Paul is addressing Christian freedom. But Paul tells the Galatian Christians that freedom, the freedom that they have in Christ, is not to be used for selfish indulgence. And, and if you would go back and you begin to look literally at what that means, it means something like this. The statement would read this. Literally, Paul says, don't use your Christian freedom as a launching base for selfish indulgence. Let me repeat that one more time. Don't use your Christian freedom as a launching base for spiritual for selfish indulgence. Paul would urge the Christians to use their freedom to lovingly serve those that are around him. See, Christian freedom is not to be spent on myself but others. I wonder if it's, I mean, I don't know all that's going on and why's, and, and I've asked that, and I'm not sure about everything. I, I just wonder sometimes, though, 
I wonder if maybe we have this time. Maybe we have this time to on our own use our Christian freedom to serve others. That maybe we, maybe we have this time where we're not depending upon a ministry or ministry leaders or the elders or the ministers or anybody else to get service going for us. I, I wonder if this time could be spent, and I, and I hope it is, and I pray it is, and, and I think it is, a time when we, we use our Christian freedom to serve other people. And that's the freedom from and the freedom to. I'm free from all that other stuff, but now, now I'm free to serve with love. There's one other thing that we're free to do. We're free to share the message of freedom. And, and I want to let you know I, I, I struggled a little bit with this. And, and then I, I realized what's... What's happening? So listen to this. This is gonna this is gonna blow you away. Do you realize that? And I looked this up. It's on Google, right, Monty? It's 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 true then, right? <laughs> I, I looked this up, and on average, a person will see anywhere about four thousand ads in a day. Now. The one statistic I couldn't believe, even if it came from Google, was that it was four to 10,000 a day. And I, I thought about where that comes from, right? I mean, think about all the ads that we see on TV or the ads that we see on our phone or as we're searching on the internet, there's ads just popping up all over the place. If you listen to the radio, there's always commercials and ads going on at that time. And I thought, man, this numbering... This number is it's incredible. It's, it's honestly, it's staggering. But then it hit me with this. What's even more impacting, what's even more staggering than just the sheer number is this, is that every message, every ad, everything I hear has some sort of message. And this message is saying this, I want your attention. I want you to do something. I want your attention. I want you to do something over and over and over again. 4,000 a day. You know, life throws so many messages at us, right? That sometimes it's, it's, it's so easy to get lost in to get lost in all those messages. It's, it's easy not to, it's just easy to get lost there, right? But I think as Christians, even though we're presented with all these messages and these messages are wanting us to do something every day and they're screaming at us over and over again, listen to me, do this, listen to me, do this. As Christians, we must always remember this, that there is really only one message that is really really important. And the one message that is so important is freedom in Jesus Christ. That because of the sacrifice and the things that he did on the cross, 
We have freedom in Christ. And, and sometime, in some way, in some form or fashion, eventually what people need to hear from us is the idea that they need to hear from our lips and our actions and, and the way we handle things and what we say and everything about us that, that the most important message to us is freedom in Christ, freedom from our sins because of what Jesus did. That's the most important message. And it's that message that eventually this world needs to see. That message needs to pierce the darkness of all the other messages that are going on in this world. That message has to be the light that we share people that in Jesus Christ you can have freedom, freedom in Christ. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. I want you to take a moment here, and uh, we're going to rewind. Uh, we're not going to rewind the whole sermon, so don't worry about that. <laughs> I, I want you to rewind. I want you to rewind all the conversations you had this last week. Now, there's probably 4,000, right? <laughs> I want you to rewind all the conversations that you had this last week. And it's important for us to share in this moment and to reflect in this moment because it's so important for us as Christians that in some way, in some way our week is this, is that we're sharing about the freedom in Jesus. And it's okay for us to talk a lot about a lot of different things, right? I mean, it's, it's okay to talk about that. Betty and I here in a little bit, we're going to be talking about how bad the cowboys are. All right, we're going to be talking. It's okay to do that, but I got to let you know something. In our week of conversations, somewhere along the line, shouldn't there be a message of light that says this? There is freedom in Jesus Christ. There is spiritual freedom in Jesus. Jesus will rescue you from the death grip of the law, and Jesus will allow you to feel, not feel anymore, the pointing of accusing fingers, and he will clean up the filth that sin causes in our lives. There has to be that message somewhere along the way, right? There has to be that message. Today, if you're listening, and I want to let you know is that if you have not, you don't even know about, or you don't even know what this idea of, of freedom in, in Jesus is. That's, that's really a new concept for you. And, and, and you, like what it, you like what the Word and what Jesus is saying about that. I want to let you know is this. If you've not experienced freedom in Jesus Christ, I want you to email us. I want you to email us. And I want to let you know, I promise you this. We will get a hold of you, right, Monty? We will get a hold of you, and we will share with you the message of freedom. 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 In many ways, freedom has dramatically changed for us in this last year, hadn't it? Yet I want to let you know this. 
that the freedom in Christ will never, ever change. It's eternal, and it's free to all. And may God richly bless us to serve and share this message of freedom this next week. God bless.